0: You're listening to the Comics Pals Book Club. Hello, I'm your host for this month's edition, Phil Casey. We have a full roster of pals this month with Sean, Kale. I can't see. Pete. I want to go to bed. And Marco. Good evening.
1: Oh, jeez. That wasn't a Daredevil joke.
0: No. Uh, this month, we are talking about one of the greatest comic books ever published, and a personal favorite of mine, Pete already alluded to it, Daredevil Born Again.
1: Yeah. Yay! <laughs> Fanfare!
2: Do you guys remember how there was a, a Moby song on the Daredevil film soundtrack? <laughs>
3: no. Yes. I, d- I did was
2: actually, not remember that. It was actually pretty good.
0: <laughs> uh, welcome to the film club. We're talking about Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Uh, yes. Hello. Uh, this collects issues 226 to 233 from 1986. It's written by Frank Miller with art by David Mazu Kelly. Uh, Daredevil Born Again chronicles the rise and fall of Matt Murdock and all of his supporting characters. Let's just dive right into it. Uh, guys, what were your expectations going in and had you read it before?
3: I'm going to go first because I suspect that I'm the only person here who had not read this before. Like.
4: Incorrect.
2: Incorrect.
3: Oh, oh, oh wow. I, <laughs> wow <okay. laughs> Interestingly,
2: I thought I'd read it before, uh, but apparently I
0: hadn't. <laughs> oh, you were thinking about another storyline? Oh, wow. I
2: think so, yeah.
0: <laughs> cool. All right, well, guys, what were your expectations then?
3: So I already heard that this was like one of the best comics ever, one of the best superhero comics of all time. And so my expectations were pretty high. I also knew that this book was a big inspiration into Daredevil Season Mm 3. So, um, you know, that was so amazing that I already felt like when I was reading this, there were certain beats that I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And I (laughs) remember that. Sure. Sure. So I had high expectations. And without... Getting too deep into the conversation, uh, this book definitely doesn't disappoint. It,
0: I feel like uh, in terms of recognizing story beats, it's similar to uh, the Dark Phoenix saga in that way. Where if you had never read it, because of kind of like cultural osmosis or whatever, it's like, oh yeah, yeah this, this, yeah. that. And it, yeah,
2: I think I think that's why I thought I'd read it because I've seen, um, uh, the, you know, a lot of like academic writing on it both in school and out um and i think that's why i thought
3: i'd read it makes sense
2: um so yeah i don't know going going in it it was interesting i guess knowing some of that deeper stuff you know uh I won't, I won't allude to much, but like the, you know, like the, 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 the specific imagery of, of uh, Murdoch as he descends deeper into bad, uh, he he increasingly goes uh, into a a fetal position and then comes out in like a Christ-like pose. Like I knew all that. And so I knew to like watch for it and see what was going on.
1: I feel like this is one of those books where, like, even if you haven't read it, you've probably seen a lot of the most famous shots mm. at somewhere, you know? Like, even just at, like, Something cons and stuff, recreations, all that kind of stuff.
0: How the, the scene Kale's talking about is the cliffhanger of the Defender show on Netflix. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes, that's right. So, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I, I had also,
4: well, actually, I had been meaning to start the book and, like, get through it uh a couple times I, I think i'd mentioned it to to phil but for me it was i don't know what it was about what it was about it that i wasn't able to like maybe swallow get over this like initial hump um but yeah it, it i similarly had you know had always heard about it and i i enjoyed it it was it was a it was a good it was a good read it had really good beats to it um i think maybe because i had heard it being held in such high regards that maybe it didn't meet all of my expectations and i think that was partly due to uh some of the beats that i'd seen in in the tv show uh that maybe altered my opinions as to what daredevil is or can be and i i, I don't read him any anywhere else like this was probably if not my second my first daredevil read ever uh, outside of him, maybe appearing this, an issue. Wow. So, like, um, if this is the peak, though, um, I don't know. Whoa! Wow! Ah, interesting. Coming out swinging. I don't think this
2: is peak. Yeah. I don't. I personally don't think this is peak. He is very, very good. Yes. But I don't
0: think it's peak. Peak. Okay. Um. Well, that said, uh, I do want to talk about Frank Miller a little. Uh, this book and. This author both kind of launched each other before Frank Miller took on Daredevil, starting at uh, issue one fifty-eight. So about you know uh, seventy issues earlier uh, with his run, uh, Daredevil was you know kind of a sea lister that was one of Stan Lee's projects on his very crowded plate. Uh, it wasn't really until Miller came along that you know Daredevil be- became something and vice versa like this helped launch his career uh what what kind of relationship do you guys have with frank miller comics in general this is kind of held as his gold standard this one specifically i uh, had oh sorry go ahead ahead.
4: all right uh i had read his uh dark knight his year one i read the follow-ups you know to to the batman stuff um not 300 not any of his like independent stuff some sin city here or there so like i i know his his work some of his beats i i sort of get what he tries to get across um and yeah i think i think this is i i didn't i didn't realize that this was maybe one of his earlier books um for some reason i felt like
0: dark knight this is like this is around the same time as dark knight returns okay this is 86 that was 87 i think okay so then yeah it, it has very similar sort of uh
4: maybe like introspective and sort of dark grimy way of describing a lot of the environment and the situation. So a, a lot of that came through, I think. And uh, yeah, it was, it was good. I'm I'm familiar with, with his work from that sort of era. So it just kind of fit. Okay.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I would, um, I'm mostly familiar with his like 80s superhero stuff. Um, this is something that I, I didn't get to say before, but like I, this is something I had read before. Um, sure. So yeah, like uh, this is like when I think of him, it's like this and and Dark Knight, you know. Um, and a, a, I, I haven't really read like uh, like I've never read Sin City or anything like that.
0: That's a big yeah. one. That's like long. Yeah.
3: I, I I guess I I'm familiar with everything that everybody else is of Miller's. Okay. Uh, it's really interesting because. In my lifetime as a comic book reader, his golden era of creating was kind of behind him. Mm, Yeah, Uh, All his best books had already come out and stuff like that. And I've only ever heard of him spoken about (coughs) all the days as like a past his prime writer who's trying to be edgy and stuff like that. And I think, especially with the context of this book and interviews that i randomly saw recently of his i think it's crazy that people talk about him like that because he's kind of always been pushing the envelope of what comics can do and i think that the same thing that he was heralded for at this time with, with with born again which i i would say is probably pretty edgy for the time that it came out in yeah is the same thing that he gets crapped on for now uh which seems unfair to me but if this is Pete Miller, I mean, this is Pete Comics. You know, this is this is incredible, and I think it's easy to understand why um, so many of his books are held in such a high regard because he tried to do things that were special and different. This feels like an event, you know, a, a personalized event comic for for a specific character. Before we really even talk like that,
4: I would I would agree with that. Um, just on his writing. I wouldn't say that about his art because he is an artist as well. And and I think his art has transformed to a point that that is definitely beyond where he was in uh, with the Dark Knight. And uh, I mean, he did some stuff for what was it? He did he did some things for Master Race. Not like penciling, I believe, like maybe covers, but it's just like the the artistically it's not it's not up to that same caliber. I, I think he gets that flack more from an artist perspective, though I have heard it lobbed at him from a writing perspective, which, you know, uh Master Race for whatever amount of problems it had, I think was still a coherent story and still tried to to say something. It was actually one of the the, the few books that included Superman where I'm just like, Wow, Superman's kinda cool like from that book, so uh
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like um I feel like he's one of those creators who his style was so important at the time and like is so influential in a lot of ways that he kind of gets taken for granted. You know, like he to Sean's point, like now he is looked at as this like kind of person who's past his prime and you look at so much of his career where he's been, you know, not not as relevant as he was near the start of his career. And I feel like that's where that narrative kind of turned on him. And I, I agree with you, Sean. I don't think it's fair. Because um, I think even if everything he did after his seminal work was terrible, he still wrote some seminal work in the medium. And, like, that's... Who can claim that, you know? Like, yeah. a lot of people who we would consider our favorites are, are not even close. You know, I've not written anything nearly as influential as, um, as something like Born Again or Dark Knight, you know? So, um, credit where credit's due. the guy i think i think the thing though that
2: that you guys are are sort of missing is is the period after 9-11 where he sort (laughs) of just went off the deep end and that's where the criticism for his writing and everything comes from uh but how good after so so for the audience if you if you don't know uh he was in new york and i i believe he like watched the towers fall and was like part of like the survivors of you know the 9-11 attacks
0: and he's personally very upset by
2: it yeah and uh so and that happened like in the middle of him writing
4: uh strikes Dark again Man strikes again right <clears throat>
2: and, and like you can see the shift and uh so after that he went into uh, a book called holy terror which was supposed to be the next dark knight book which was going to be batman going to the middle east and just wrecking the taliban
3: <laughs> i i don't think i was missing that at all I, I mean i'm 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 speaking including that but i don't see that as a problem like i think that art is expression of what's inside of you and that as a, an extremely traumatic event it makes sense why he would choose to do that. He's not afraid of, of, of pushing the boundaries and doing things that are different and that other people might not be okay with. I mean, he had, there's a heroin addict in this book that we're about to discuss. So right. um, I don't feel like what he did was out of bounds. And I think that, you know, people can be upset with the choice, you know, in the sense of like clutching pearls. But, you know, I, I don't think it's out of character for him to do that.
1: And even if that stuff sucks, it doesn't retroactively make this stuff not good or not right relevant.
3: Yeah. Let's
0: let's let's dive into the book. Sure. I, I think I think it's fair to say we've kind of given a good little uh, overview of Miller's career and, and the, some of the divisive aspects of it to say the least. But Sean, you mentioned this book feels like an event and I think I think I think that is no more apparent than the way it opens up because the story opens up with Karen page. Who's now a heroin addict selling off Daredevil's secret identity, uh, which eventually finds its way to Wilson Fisk who takes the opportunity to just completely ruin Matt Murdoch's life in every way. Um, <laughs> it's just completely captivating. Like I, I can't think of a more dynamic way to open a book.
3: Kingpin's presence throughout this entire book is overwhelming and magnetic. This is this is like unreal. The way he's showcased in those early pages, just this mountain man mm-hmm. in a in a perfect suit with the smoke and everything. Like it's just it's just phenomenal. And you know, my familiarity with the relationship between Daredevil and Kingpin really comes from the Netflix show and then comics that came out way after this. But I'm assuming that this is what set that standard, kind of. This Um, is the foundation. And, And
0: the earlier Miller stuff, too.
3: Yeah. So, it very much feels like this is Kingpin kind of going, okay, here's an opportunity for me to knock, you know, one of my biggest thorns out of my side, right? And When is it worse for a hero Than when the biggest villain they have Figures out their secret identity And Miller took interesting? Go ahead
0: What's interesting is it's not so much The way it comes off isn't so much that it's a thorn Because you're right He comes off like a complete mountain of a man But the way Kingpin describes it is This is the most honest Man I know And I want to break him
3: Yeah Yeah but the way, that, the way that Miller presents this conflict is such a simple idea. Even the fact that, that this secret gets revealed by an old girlfriend who Matt's probably not even thinking about anymore, this ghost from his past that you know basically puts everything that he's built and worked so hard to maintain at risk. And you can feel how he feels throughout this book.
1: I think my my favorite thing about uh, about this portrayal of of Kingpin and I think um what was so compelling about what they borrowed from this to adapt to the Netflix show is that like he is such a imposing compelling antagonist and they only actually come to blows like once you know like it's uh, yeah. it's it's all about what what Fisk is capable of and like the psychology of why he does what he does that makes their battle you know their battle quote-unquote um so awesome in this and like how how many superhero stories can like create a a villain like that an antagonist like that you know
0: oh and the gravitas of it too like matt doesn't know why his life is falling apart this way. And the IRS is holding his money. Uh, the last two months of his, of his mortgage haven't been paid. Um, he gets disbarred because he's accused of, of, of having, of telling a client to, uh, lie basically. Um, and it isn't until his, his apartment complex blows up that he realized it's the signature of a mafia man. And Wilson Fisk welcomes it. He wants him to come like what a move. Because he wants to break every bone in his body.
1: And more than that. Yeah, more than that, he kills him.
0: Yeah, he kills him, and and Daredevil dies, uh, figuratively. Um, Just just incredible stuff. What do you guys think of the choice to make Karen Page a heroin addict? I didn't know what she was before that, so
4: it worked.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's interesting because I, I... even though I've read stuff with Karen Page in it, I uh, my closest recollection to the character as as we've said before is the Netflix series, mm. right? So seeing her uh, through that lens, <laughs> there was a part of me that's like, mm, no. <laughs> well,
4: yeah, for like, me it was it was kind of just like, oh, all right, yeah. That like I assume that whatever's on the show is going to be altered for audiences so i'm like oh this is so to me this is more so like oh i guess this is what she originally was and is and like this is just the the base level now for for karen page moving forward at least for anything else that i might read afterwards sure
1: yeah i think um i I feel like this is like such a it's such a device of the time you know um and I, i don't mean that really anyway um but like, there. This is. Th- this was such a, a a fresh thing at that point, right? Like the idea of like having characters like Karen Page who have a history with with Daredevil in at this point and like kind of putting them through the gutter in that way, you know, was, um, you know, it's like a a, a real trademark of like those '80s comics that were kind of like breaking new grounds and showing how you could you know, talk about superheroes in different ways. And, you know, I think for that, like, it ends, up, it ends up setting up, to your point, Phil, right, like, what is a really, really compelling narrative. Because you, like, you want, I think, at least I as a reader, right, I want to resent Karen for what she does, but I also on some level feel sorry for her and know that, you know, and, like, seeing the way that her coming back and reuniting with Matt in the way that he receives her, like, makes me feel that that is very much the energy you're supposed to be coming into it with, right? That it's like this is a character that you know, you ideally love, and you see them hit absolute rock bottom and betray, you know, the person who's supposed to mean the most to them, and that leads to Matt's entire life, like, being torn apart. And, like, I think the fact that it is, you know, the woman he wanted to marry who – is the is the thing that sets that off makes it all the more tragic, you know? It's almost
2: Shakespearean. Phil, <laughs> Phil, do you know? So in uh, what is it two sixty 260, two sixty six that uh, the the first issue that the
1: uh, that the trade has the trade two twenty six two sixty
0: two.
1: I'm hold on. I'm gonna pull it up. In, anyway, but, that uh, issue that
3: issue has
2: two twenty six. Marco's right. That issue has a credit of Denny O'Neill and Frank Miller. Do you know? Did Denny have anything to do with this? With the the rest of the Born Again storyliner? Is that all, Frank
0: Miller? Uh, so Denny O'Neill was actually the writer that was that Frank uh, succeeded. Actually, mm-hmm.
2: uh, the the reason I ask is because uh, Denny Denny O'Neill did the famous uh, Green Arrow story with Speedy getting addicted to heroin. I was going to gonna ask about that, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, Hard Traveling Heroes, yes. uh, which was uh, almost 20 years earlier. Uh I, I, I think... Well, that was, what, 68 or something? And this is 86? Oh, damn, really? Is that true? I think, no, that can't be true. Uh, Hard Traveling Heroes <laughs> is that old? I think so. I'm going to find
1: out. Who can do it first? Um... Uh, not
4: 2018. Don't you lie to me, Google. Over 40 years ago.
2: Well, that could be I mean, that oh. could be the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: actually, you're right. Let's keep it going anyway.
0: Uh, yeah, sorry. I got sidetracked by this whole thing. Um yeah, it's interesting. So she she the whole time is 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 crying for forgiveness for Matt and um, I think that's kind of a good way to transition into Matt's descent uh, Kale kind of mentioned it earlier but every issue uh, leading to Salvation lead- starts with Matt uh, lying in bed gradually moving mm. into the fetal position um, Matt is completely brought to his absolute rock bottom and and sean you alluded to how his facial expressions or maybe it was pete uh like you feel every fall with him every punch uh
3: i i would kind of want to know what you were feeling during all that um are you are you asking me or pete at this point (laughs) oh
0: no no i mean like all of you it's it's for everyone like like, go ahead john what's the experience what do you Are you feeling it with him? Are you sympathizing?
3: Yeah, man. Uh, I think whether you grew up reading Daredevil or you're new to the character or whatever, anyone can resonate with a guy who's losing everything. And if you are familiar with him, then you know that he doesn't a lot of times he doesn't charge for his work. He works pro bono a lot of the time. He really does care about Uh, trying to help people as much as possible. So, you know, and he tortures himself for the things he does when he puts on the costume. So in a lot of ways, he's one of the most uh, humanitarian heroes in the sense that he's helping people in both of his lives. Yeah. Uh, And so to see someone like that get destroyed like this... And it's not just what Karen Page did, right? Foggy is talking to um to Matt's girlfriend, right? Uh, he's losing his job. He lost his license. He, you know, so many bad things are happening to him at once. Every scene in the book is dedicated to a way that Matt's life is falling apart, mm-hmm. and you can't get away from it. Everywhere you try to turn. It's worse and worse, even in ways that he's not necessarily aware of in the moment. So what Frank Miller is doing is he's trapping you in Matt's world. And it's so expertly done. And um, so, yeah, because of that, I I couldn't get out of feeling for him.
4: Yeah, the um, that visual, that cowboyed out i had noticed and then, now like flipping through you can definitely see it I, I i had sort of seen like how his face got skinnier you know like the lines sort of got were drawn different on his face on his body he, he was hunched over a bit more mm. um so you, you definitely feel it in that way and, and even with some of the other characters um especially like, like yurik who similarly goes through uh, another kind yeah. of like uh step by step until even actually um one of the things that i was going to call out was when uh, that
1: page when he's on the phone
4: yeah yeah you can actually see like the lines get thicker his his face gets less discernible like uh there's like less detail on it but you can still like the the lines get more blocky uh it's that, that was excellently done um so yeah you can definitely feel it just in the way that they're represented um panel by panel page by page it's it's really good stuff
0: it's it's funny you mentioned ben because uh, one thing that miller does really well here i think is it's not just matt's descent it's it's ben's um it's karen's mm-hmm. and um and um you know it, 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 it they descend at the same time and they rise at the same time yep yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and for for kingpin one of the things that i
4: noticed was that like, it's the the inverse like he's on the rise until he finally falls, and then yeah. for all the other characters, it's just like the other way around.
0: His his descent is slow, and everyone starts questioning him and getting you know murdered for it. But you're right it it, it it's they're like opposite character arcs in this story. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I I love the way that the the scenes of of. Kingpin, like, standing, you know, like, looming over the city with his cigar while he just, like, kind of plots Matt's destruction. Like, those are... They're such compelling moments. Like, it was, like, just absolutely captivating any time that, you know, that he's kind of sitting there, like, putting his pieces on the board. Um, but the the to answer your question, Phil, about, like, what it's like to see kind of Matt's fall, I don't think that it gets worse than when he's in that like $8 motel or hotel rather, Mm -hmm. I think that, that to me is like the part of the book that is really the most striking, you know, because I think if you know anything about daredevil and, and like what, you know, like kind of, I guess his core values are, it's, it's that, you know, getting knocked down and getting back up. And, uh, and obviously like he makes allusions to the fact that like, that's what he learned from his father. And like, that's, you know, that's, like, a, a, a thing that's very important to his core, right, is that he is, like, a never-say-die kind of person. And to see him at his lowest point, like, $2 in his pocket, curled up in a ball, and he, like, can't even bring himself to leave a room was, like, you know, that's – like, that's really seeing him at, like, an all-time low, seeing him, like, completely crumble.
0: Sean used – he described it as, as being trapped, and that visually – epitomizes that Mm -hmm. like he's he's literally in a box at that point
1: yeah and then like you cut to wilson looking over the city and just that sinister like cloud of smoke around him and it's like he's you know he's the architect of his destruction man
0: He, he before we get into kind of his salvation uh we talked about ben uh he is like kind of the the I feel like he's the entry point character when, when he gets, you know, he has the courage to pursue this story and trying to expose the Kingpin and what he did to Matt Murdoch and Kingpin very much intimidates him. Having a uh, nurse, the size of a truck, the narrative describes her as uh, break his hand and, and reading that you can't, you can't blame him for giving up at that point hmm. because most people would.
4: Yeah. Well, then he beats up the. Well, she beats up the cop. Uh, she, like fucks That's him right. up. See,
0: yeah, in front see, of him. Almost, yeah, right. Almost murders him yeah. in front of him. I definitely. No, he, he
4: didn't die. He was. She just like got. Yeah, he said. He said almost.
0: He said almost. Oh, oh, oh,
4: um, yeah, and it's like I
1: definitely can't. You can't blame him, right? Like he's, like. That, and not to mention that there's like the janitor at his work who's watching yeah, him and listening. Good. Like he's being constantly surveilled. You know, like, what are you going to do, right? The,
0: the scene that Marco was talking about where the nurse chokes out the cop over the phone so that Ben hears the gurgles. Hold up. Yeah, good. Pull, hold up for the YouTube audience just the coloring even yeah uh it's harrowing like you feel the fear i i I personally felt the fear ben Mm -hmm. was experiencing there yeah it
1: it, like it it, to me it very much brought me to that place you know like where uh, you can imagine those moments where you've had genuine fear in your life and you feel like your stomach drop and your vision get tight and you get hot and like it's so evocative yeah that page is amazing
0: so uh matt at his absolute lowest gets stabbed by turk who's a recurring uh kind of grunt daredevil antagonist uh, he's in the show too oh really uh, he's in yeah, yeah he remember uh, he, he was
1: the dude who showed up there was like that one uh like gangster who was in like a bunch of the shows
0: he, yeah that's right. He was in Jessica Jones. He was in a bunch huh, of... Huh, okay. He showed
1: up in Luke Cage at one point.
0: Um, he stabs uh, Matt in a Santa Claus suit, which, which caused him to pass out and, and have to be nursed by um, a nun in a very kind of Christ-like image to end... Um, I, I forget which issue. Um, so my question is to Kale, uh, who had a religious upbringing. Did, wh- how... like? Did the kind of provocative, like kind of Christ-like imagery, uh, affect your reading of this specifically? Mm, I
2: I think it probably missed me because I wasn't Catholic. Uh, okay. So so like while I had cross imagery and and resurrection imagery, it wasn't so you know it wasn't so central. Um, um, central. It wasn't so wasn't so iconic as uh um works with here.
4: Mm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I uh I grew up very Catholic and like all these stations of the cross and yeah. it's like oh yep yep yeah ingrained in my brain <laughs> <laughs> Um Well this is the scene where Matt meets his mother. Yeah. Uh, but she said no show, that's right, but her heartbeat gave her away. Uh, her mind's obviously the. Sh- no, go ahead.
2: Her mind's telling him no, but her no, heart. No, you is let- telling ah, him. Yes. God
0: <laughs> Unreal. Okay. Uh, this is the kind of ship I run. Uh, so this is the scene where he meets his mother, and obviously the show goes into this. Uh, so I guess it really wasn't a plot. Tw- you know, it wasn't surprising, um, but. Uh I guess I guess I I I wonder um do you do you think the introduction of Matt's mom as a nine was a, a effective kind of plot device for for Matt to turn around like do you think he needed that mother figure to be able to nurture him back to health like that yes cool mm-hmm. oh, okay i would have said uh, no
3: Okay. Uh, well, I will say why yes, and then you will say why no. Um, I think nah. that when you are injured, right, and when you want to be, you know, taken care of, typically you look for your mother or the mother figure in your life. Um, you know, if you if you're sick and you need some TLC, typically you're going to go to your mom uh and that kind of thing and then of course you could probably write some type of essay about the you know the how what the what role the mother plays in in religion and Christ and all that type sure. of jazz mm. and i think that all of that was really effectively displayed here i think a moment that big in matt's life was what was required to bring him back from the brink, you know, to resuscitate him uh, for him to be born again. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And especially because we already know the deal with his dad, you know, what better moment to introduce his mom into the fray as a healer, you know, in his life as a, as a positive force than now in a lot of ways, it's the memory of his dad, the spirit of his dad and the reality of his mom in this moment literally healing him nursing him back to health that gives him the strength to move forward throughout this throughout this book
4: I, and not I only have, i would have agreed with that had, had she been more prominent uh, I, for me i kind of took it the catholic route where she's like like mother mary like she is a religious figure and is replaceable by a religious figure but the fact that she's a nun and coming in at it from like uh, a more spiritual perspective and that sort of, like, helps ignite him in his own belief in himself. Um, that, that that was where I sort of saw her, Maggie's role specifically. Um, and then, it, for me, it was kind of just, like, random where she was like, are you my mother? Uh, and then she's like, no. And then the heartbeat, I'm like, okay, like, are you going to explore that? If not, did you just, like, toss that in? Um, I, I, I didn't think, for the amount that was shown, I didn't think it was – necessary to have gotten the point across uh i think it's i don't think it's uh i do think it's additive to some extent but i don't know that it encapsulates the like the entirety of his recovery because by then he was pretty much okay
1: no what are you talking about man like when that like she's the one who nurses him back to health yeah and there's no, literally I mean, there's literally it, a scene where they say where he's gonna die
4: no, and no then... but, but by the time that she she says it he asks. He's fine. He's like up. He's like, Oh, I'm I'm back. My fever is broken. I'm good and then the next issue he's training.
1: Oh, you mean when he asks her?
4: Right, right, right. I
1: see, I see, I see. Sorry, misunderstood. Um Yeah, I mean I, I think I, I definitely fall more on Sean's side of it, but like I definitely agree with the point you're making about the symbolism, you know? I think I think it's it serves both of those narratives, you know, like it It helps um, tie to the Catholic imagery of Daredevil and, like, his kind of Christ-like rebirth and obviously, you know, like, the nun and everything like that. Like, it's his mother. It's Like, there's all of that element to it, but I, I definitely see what Sean's saying in terms of, you know, him being at an absolute low point, like, on the brink of death. And, you know, no one there beside him but his mother, who he hasn't, you know, ever really known. But he has this, you know, strong memory of, you know, the first time that she nursed him when he was wounded, when he became Daredevil. Like, that's a huge come full circle moment for him as a character, I think. Um, yeah. And I think that arc is really important. He,
3: If you read that issue, too, like, he's thinking about... The idea that she might be his mother the whole yeah. time, and but... like he's questioning who she is he's he's she's at the forefront of his mind throughout his recovery, so I definitely feel like her being who she was was a factor in that um, and you know again, like I really, really appreciated. That Frank Miller was able to weave that into this story because again, like it it adds it adds a whole other wrinkle to it, like man, now his mom is saving his life, you know, a mom who abandoned him in the past is the is the same person who's helping yeah. him rise again. I just think it's beautiful stuff
2: and I think it also gives him the
3: and you know. At that
0: point, when he shows up at the at the church, he has nothing left. You know, he at at, at one point before he confronts the kingpin, he's like a, a wild dog. He he attacks a policeman, and and you know Wesley describes the events on the subway to perfect detail. But you know he doesn't attack the muggers until they hold a gun up to him. Uh, at, at this point, what does he have? Uh, pause, Kale. Can you guys hear me? No, we can't hear you.
2: Love it. Love it. Love this fucked up system.
0: Um, I guess make a note for 43.29 for the video. Will do. What
1: the fuck is up with Hangouts today, man?
3: I think it's the combination of Hangouts and Discord, because this was happening on Saturday, too.
1: Yeah, I fell off like five times. I just don't understand why that's like a problem.
0: Yeah. Well. Kale, maybe try to leave uh, Hangouts and come back in. He did. Great idea. Did he? <laughs> oh! <Whoa. laughs> I'm sorry. Um, were you trying to get a, a word ed- edgewise on that subject?
2: Yes. Uh, and it, I can just add it as a quick, uh, a quick end note.
0: No, it's fine because I, I was adding my thought to it anyway. Uh, so you say what you have to say.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um. So the the thing, the thing about this arc as well, I think, uh, with Maggie is that it also gives Matt the strength and the the willingness to look at Karen as a victim and someone who needs help and help and makes him want to forgive her and help her and yeah you know they they have a relationship before and it's it's just as much fueled by that but i think this is the thing that makes him go you know i love this person it doesn't matter what they did they need help
0: let's 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 talk about that so matt uh confronts a man that's dressed like daredevil who's sent to kill um karen and foggy and matt intervenes now able-bodied um and and he attacks the 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 man who's been basically holding karen hostage and they embrace uh, it's just this cathartic moment of two people who've been at the very rock bottom uh coming together finally uh when i first read this in my original run i i I, I cried. It was, it's one of the only times I've ever cried reading a comic book.
3: It's powerful stuff, man. Not just because of what we've seen Matt have to endure, but also what we've seen Karen endure. Mm. And I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot with, at least with Karen. Like, I, I definitely found myself connecting with her strongly mm. because we're seeing probably her rock bottom. At this point, this is the lowest point she's been at where she's willing to sell out this man that she loved, you know, the one that got away or whatever for more drugs. And you really can't get any worse than that. But we know because she's going through that, that she's probably been through years of, you know, trauma prior to that to get to that point. So when I've read that sequence, I had all of that in my mind. And then I also had everything that we've seen Daredevil go through. Uh, and it's just like, wow, these two broken people were able to find each other and reconnect. And then, you know, it's not necessarily explicit, but they're part of each other's recovery. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yep. And I really appreciated that as a statement of like, hey, man, we need each other. You know, when we're down, that's when we need each other the most. And they both reached their worst moment together, and now they're ready to be born again
1: yeah and i i like I like that as commentary too on on the idea that our worst moments don't define us hmm. um yeah, which is obviously you know um kind of fits into the whole religious angle as well, right of like the idea of like being reborn um you know in religion through God, but I think in uh in, in, in this case it's through like through love and through forgiveness and like that is a really powerful message
0: um, something else he says to Karen um, or maybe he doesn't say it, but he thinks it, which is um, it's in the narrative, which is um, I've lost nothing as are embracing mm-hmm. back at uh, presumably his apartment. Yeah. And oh, yeah. That's good. And it, 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 there's something really powerful about just loving someone so implicitly that yeah. you know, Karen, her actions led to his life being so fucked up, and it didn't matter ultimately.
4: Yeah.
0: Well, even that, but, that even that imagery yeah. would
4: looked. uh Sorry, just to add on that. Like, even that imagery looked. uh Uh, Penitent Hmm.
0: Hmm.
4: Yeah I could see that yeah yeah.
0: Now at this point Kingpin is getting more and more Paranoid about Matt Murdock And he calls in A man responsible for Napalming uh, towns in Vietnam And towns in Nicaragua (laughs) A man named Nuke It was the 80s yeah, man, this man was popping pills like crazy. Oh, I thought the Nicaragua um, stuff. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And Vietnam was the seventies, so the tracks. Um So Wilson Fist decides to turn Hell's Kitchen into a war zone. Uh this shit's crazy. Dude,
1: that character is so unintentionally funny to me. And not because <laughs> like he, he is scary and he is imposing, but there's that scene where like there's like two or three times where he where he yelled our boys and it was just too funny to yeah. me. Where Boy, I, was I like, like, He's like, they're getting our boys and he's like, not our boys! No! <laughs> like, damn! <laughs> so
0: it's <good>. So funny. <laughs> Dude, dude's a frat bro. He's like, you don't leave the boys behind. Not my boys, <laughs> no. No boys left behind. Yeah, he,
4: I've never seen him in, in, uh, in uh, a book and I actually Googled him this is his first appearance. He, he appears in like some teams later on. But uh, yo, I like this character.
0: Yeah, go on. Tell me more. He was fucking
4: cool. Our boys, popping pills.
0: Give me a red one. A white one.
4: A blue. we like, whoa, this guy's intense. This guy's fucking <laughs> off his
1: rocker. And hopped <laughs> yeah. up on some real fucked up drugs.
3: I have mixed feelings about Nuke. On one hand, I like him a lot. But on the other hand, I feel like he's overused because I've seen him so many times in modern comics. Yeah. Um, And knowing that this was his first appearance kind of softens it because I can forget about what I know from now and how I feel about the character now and just embrace what he is here. Mm. But honestly, this was the part where I started to stop loving the book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because it changes. Right. Yeah. And I think it gets into that thing that happens a lot, I feel, at this time in comics where they just throw in like several cameos yep. that don't feel like they need to happen. If Daredevil couldn't beat Nuke by himself, then I don't feel like Nuke should have been in the book. Because... Captain America has no business having the the ultimate battle in the book. That's random,
1: right? And and it's like it's unfortunate because I I feel like sure like this story is tying up loose ends to Born Again, but it, I feel like the kind of you made the point earlier, Sean, that like this this book feels like an event. Like, it feels like a really important, pivotal story in in Matt's life. And then this gets introduced, and it feels like one of those stories in a monthly book where it's just like, oh, this is like a one- or two-issue arc thing that happened, and
0: cool, you know? It's it's interesting, because the story went from being about redemption and love, and and then it sort of took, like, a political turn, because... um, it felt like Frank Miller wanted to write about. It became like this dichotomy of what Captain America is, which is uh, he's only loyal to the flag and its ideals, versus Nuke, who, who's you know Captain America is emblematic of like glorified forties American jingoism versus like uh, like all the shit that is associated with Vietnam. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and it's interesting because there there are things in my reading this time that felt um relevant today because you know uh wilson fisk is is manipulating nuke and talking about uh how he's the true patriot and 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 like how he's getting bad press and like it turns into like nuke wants to kill the press like (laughs) this is shit that's relevant in 2020 uh but in this book it's it's it feels like half baked because it's only developed in two issues. Yeah,
4: yeah, and, yeah. And, and this is where it got like super comic booky for me, and very much started to dissuade me because uh, it's just it, it to to me I, I hadn't thought that that as deeply about it as that, but it, it definitely makes sense in the tracks. But it felt like oh we we you know we need to the, the keep the action going, so like here's here's this villain or here's this guy to sort of fill that space and fill that air. Yeah, like, I I, I don't think that there's
1: anything wrong with the the themes that are set up and, like, what Miller set out to do. But I think to your point, Phil, it's, like, it's just not – there's not enough there for it to be compelling. So it's, like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, there's some thoughts there. There's some commentary there. But I I don't feel like it really serves much. And it it feels like – this weird tacked on kind of diversion to what is otherwise like a very focused story yeah, with very clear themes. And it's weird because the whole focus is so squarely on Matt and his life and, and the, the unraveling of it and what that means for him. And, and then it's like, there's this diversion where it's like, all right, let's watch Captain America break into a lab and like, you know confront a general it's just like like I get it it's related but it's a very like it's a huge diversion from what we were dealing with and it it doesn't it doesn't serve what we were doing and I feel like it gets in the way of an ending that otherwise like lands pretty well
0: I I think it's because this is just my interpretation um I think in unraveling Wilson Fisk Frank Miller wanted to make a point that this isn't either A, how it has to be, which is what the point of Captain America is, Mm. or B, that it's not like that. Like, even though there are men like Fisk out there, he's being idealistic.
3: I think that the, the dichotomy between Daredevil and Kingpin already gets that across. I don't feel like the book needed to reiterate that with two wholly new characters Mm -hmm. and one thing that i really appreciate now that i couldn't before about the daredevil television show is how committed it is to using hell's kitchen as a character and the you can tell that you can tell why something like this would never have happened in the television show and it's not just because they couldn't use cap or thor or iron man It's because those characters don't care about Hell's Kitchen. And so in order to tell a story that satisfies Daredevil, Kingpin, and Hell's Kitchen as all separate characters, Daredevil would have to be the person to resolve the problems in his home. And defeat the person who is most threatening his home. And so in season one that is the central point right like they're fighting over hell's kitchen and then in season three even though it becomes more personal hell's kitchen is still very much a player in the storyline and it's this you know these two characters butting heads over control over this city and this book the one thing that it's not concerned about is that it that, that that's never a real theme and so in my mind knowing what I know from the show when I saw Thor I was like wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep. Like why why is Thor solving this problem? Though though the
0: way that. though the, fr- the way Frank introduces him is pretty cool or yes. like
3: with a soldier sure. with
0: a voice that can command a god and he does. Great line. Yeah. Great line. Damn. It was badass. Yeah.
2: And um, I, and my problem with these two issues is that it, like it sort of kills the resolution to the overall story.
4: Yes. The momentum there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Fisk, you know, uh, he sort of gets caught for enlisting Nuke, and, yeah, but it'll be fine, and, well, we'll go on to do another day.
1: And it's just like, yeah. that's it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's all like, we get after all this?
1: Yeah, it's like, okay, cool. Like, basically, Frank sums it up and is like, well, Matt chipped his armor a little bit, but, like... We're still going to be going at it. And it's like, I'm fine with that. Like, I get it. Kingpin needs to, you know, live to fight another day because you don't want to take away your best antagonist, especially when you just built them up and they have beef and whatever. Like, I get that angle of it, but I I definitely agree with you where, like, this diversion kind of kills the great amount of momentum that the story has, and then it's kind of like, all right, now here's the ending that you were looking for, and it would have been great if – Rather than, you know, this whole diversion, there was, like, a focused confrontation between Matt and Kingpin and it comes to a head and there's some sort of resolution. You know, whether that ends up in him in jail or not is really irrelevant, right? But, like, the fact that the ultimate confrontation of the book is not those two opposing forces who've been working against each other meeting – at some meaningful ways like it's disappointing
4: and and to that even like had they had they done something similar to kingpin where which is what i feel like was sort of uh kill alluded to it where, where like he started to sort of pay for his crimes they started to investigate like had that been sort of the resolution that would have been you know pretty much spot on to reflective of what had happened in the beginning where he was slowly getting his life ruined uh matt was and that being pretty much like a mirror to what was happening for the fall of Kingpin, like like that would have been, uh, great. But we only get what like two panels, no, sorry, two pages of that in the yeah. last issue, and then it goes. My name is Matt Murdock. I was yep. blinded by radiation. My remaining senses function with superhuman sharpness. I live in Hell's Kitchen and do my best to keep it clean. And that's all you need to know.
0: Um, it didn't bother me that uh kingpin didn't get his comeuppance because to me that really wasn't what the story was about um kingpin is kind of a, he's a very effective plot device for the journey that matt murdoch is taking on and that we're taking with him on um and to me what was more important for resolution was Matt taking his life back, and because I think such a core element of that story is forgiveness and love, and obviously he doesn't forgive the kingpin, but it was I think it was more paramount for him and Karen to start rebuilding their life. I mean, Matt has a job as, as a fry cook now. Um, the most the most like opposite thing is of a of a corporate crime pin, uh, crime kingpin. Uh, I, I I I didn't need I, I think that's something that is played out in a lot of modern media and that's not a bad thing. I I did not need that confrontation because I don't think that's what it was about at that point. I
2: don't. Yeah, so it, I, I don't even necessarily mean they need a confrontation, but like some form of resolution that wasn't
4: eh, Kingpin's getting
2: a slap on the wrist, but eh, he'll be all right.
4: Yeah. So then, like, where does the issue? Where does the the arc end for you then,
0: uh, Phil? I mean, with with Matt and Karen at the very end walking, like, in, in the sunset or whatever.
4: I think, for me,
1: it's not that I want to see Kingpin, like, necessarily, like, go down or anything like that. I think it's that, like, uh, it feels like Matt is made less of an actor in a story that is about the conflict between him and Kingpin, right? And, like, that is what bothers me. You know, like, I want to see... I want to see things come to a head in a way that is revolved around those characters because they've been the central characters, not Captain America, who has nothing to do with the story, and a villain who's introduced as, like, a punching bag. And, like, that's chill, but I would rather it have been the crazy guy who Fisk pulled out to impersonate him or something like that, some other throwaway character rather than, like, let's introduce a new character and a new set of themes at the very end. It feels like a season of, uh what's that shitty sh- American Horror Story, where it's like, we're just introducing new themes when we should be wrapping up on what we've already established. You know, because there's so much that's great in that setup, and I just, I, yeah. Like we said it before, it kills the momentum here. And those last two pages are a good resolution to the story. It's the break between you know um i don't remember i guess 231 or or 230 or whatever where like i just i just feel like those last two issues could be better spent
3: i i i actually really feel like it was a a pretty bad resolution because if you, realistically and so much of this story is built upon being able to believe in these characters And believe in the things that they're going through. I'm not resting if I'm Matt Murdock. As long as Kingpin is free. Mm. Uh, And he he knows who I am. He can find me still. I'm not going to stop until he can't hurt me. And if I'm Kingpin, I don't feel like I took an L right now. I feel (laughs) like I can still destroy this guy. So, and also you kind of cut yourself off at the legs because... Now, Matt feels good about himself and good about his future. If he locks Kingpin up and then he thinks that he's safe and then it turns out Kingpin can still turn screws from prison like they did in the show, that's a whole other arc you can go down. But yeah. right here, it's just kind of like a neutral point. You know, like mm. that's not an ending. I mean, it's, a, it's an ending in the sense of like to be continued. But it's not an ending of what I... Like, I started this conversation. I said this felt like an epic um, event story. Yeah. That is not how you would resolve a story like that. If you were trying to.
0: Let me ask you guys a question. Do you think that the television show did the Born Again arc better than the book? Yes. Yeah.
1: Which is, like, I don't also think that's a fair comparison. Because the show has... Um, you know Charlie Cox. Sure, well. that's true. He does have Charlie Cox, <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, which there is you go, bless up. That guy is the best. Um, but I I think they have the benefit of of hindsight, right? Like, which is mm. you know, um, one thing. But you also have like an army of staff writers. Yeah, and like you have the benefit of like years worth of other things that you can pull from, and you know, introduce and like. I do think that they did a better job because they were able to take a look at one of the all-time greatest Daredevil stories and be like, "Okay, cool. How can we tighten this up and make it even better?" Um, so yeah, like, is it better executed? Yeah, I think it is. It's a it's a more con- it's a more focused story. And to Sean's point, I think it it maintains believability because it the the ramifications of actions are allowed to like go farther. You know, um, because Wilson ends up in prison, that changes the pieces for season two. And, like, he's still an actor, but in a different way. And, you know, those are, those are all changes that I think were good and that did benefit the story and the execution of that story, you know, um, over time and everything. Like, so, yeah, but this laid the groundwork. We wouldn't have that show if this book didn't exist, right? Like, this book sets, like, to your point, it set that, you know— kingpin daredevil dichotomy like it, it set it up so you got to give it
0: its credit for that um we've talked about all the characters just real quick are we all happy for foggy here yeah dude no
3: foggy's a dirtbag <gasps> what oh, I, don't give, I don't give a shit about <clears> throat> Foggy. Throat> what whoa a dirtbag. wait why so okay so let me get this <laughs> your boy right Your day one is living in hell right now and you decide that you're gonna house his girl and then like seduce her. No, he That's was a good guy about plan? it. Remember,
4: she put her, she put his hand, nah. her hand on the thing. He's like, oh, we should go to bed and and he'll take the couch. Yeah, 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 yeah. and then he ends up sleeping with her anyway. Like,
1: <laughs>
4: Good
3: he's, guy, Foggy, he waited dirty. a whole night. <laughs> Foggy is not a bro and he would not be invited to the cookout. I'm done with Foggy. <laughs>
1: Nah, yeah, I like, get it, Foggy. No, I'm with Sean on this one. Like, I was real because, like there's even that scene too where he's like, Oh, how many days has Matt been missing? <laughs>
4: <laughs> and it was like eleven.
1: And and yeah, what's I forget uh I forget her name. His ex. Gloria. Gloria. Gloria Gloria. Yeah. Gloria, yeah. Um yeah, she's like eleven days and seven hours or whatever. Like she knows to the minute it's like, Oh what, you just forgot? Foggy? Great. That's creepy.
0: <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. My man my man's been laying <laughs> pipe, his mind's clouded. Yo, that's some bullshit, about... though. Like,
1: <laughs> if one of us goes missing and you immediately
3: cozy up and start <laughs> having sex with their ex, like that's a dick move. Ex, <laughs> the one isn't even ex. It was Turin. Well, well, uh, so she dumped broke, him at that point. With him over cassette oh, tape. Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay, but before that, mm-hmm. he was still rocking with her, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's dirty. But let me point this <laughs> crazy thing out i'll give it to you it's not good um a line that i'm shocked at and did not age well when glory said something to the effect of she felt like a she was a little girl or whatever and foggy goes i like little girls oh yeah, yeah. i was <laughs> yeah. like yikes no <laughs> i was dying man it's like, that was hilarious that is fucking creepy man <laughs> how did that happen <laughs>
2: it's the 80s man do you remember the the? I think it was the John Byrne Fantastic Four when uh, Reed Richards uh, like boarded right. at Sue Storm's house and she was eleven and he was like a thirty five year old man and he looked at her and went, "That's gonna be my wife."
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's some creepy shit. Oh, it's the eighties, man. Please, they did that shit um, in
0: Twilight. <laughs> that's true. Like, it's just creepy. <laughs> that- that vampire was thousands of years old. Yeah, and then the um, fucking
1: werewolf is like meets a babe, the baby or whatever, and it's like, "Oh, I'm going to yeah, we're going to be married one day." Uh, all right, Pete. All right.
0: Was <laughs> Gloria Irish? Is that the thing? Northern Irish. Yeah. You couldn't tell?
4: <laughs> she, I know I could tell. I had trouble reading it. That's a, so yeah, They she, they, she they only
2: like, mentioned it every panel.
1: Like every time yeah. that that her and Foggy had a conversation and she was like, "Yeah, in Ireland, we have that too." Like <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yeah, she she's Northern Irish, and I clearly, like the point was to allude to the how far, like the the how war breaks out in Hell's Kitchen, and she's like, oh, this is just like Belfast, mm-hmm. yeah, because Ireland was having the troubles in the seventies, but, um, bombing. The other thing I want right. I wanted to talk about was uh, Frank Miller's writing style and his kind of. Uh, uh, the, the narrative structure he took it, it, uh, Reading it, it felt really noir
3: Yeah Can I... Yeah, I want to jump right in here Because that was by far My favorite thing about this book mm. Was the way that it was written In particular, I'm referring to the narration Yes Narration is something that's almost Completely dead in comics Yeah uh, Like a narrator who is not one of the characters hmm. and that more than anything and, and, and but especially in conjunction with magicelli's artwork yes sold kingpin yes incredibly well and no one I've, i don't think i've ever read a comic book where i felt that strongly about the narration and how much it actually enhanced the story Yeah, it's it's really good. Um,
1: And like he's a lot of very vivid imagery. I think it it really sets a tone for the book, you know, and I think like especially at the time. Right. It was, you know, like a very, very, very like unique story. Um, And yeah, I, I think it played really well for me. I think the only thing about it that I didn't love was there were times where the narration of the narrator would like it would shift into the voice of the character and like there were times where that was like a little bit hard to follow but i feel like once i got in the you know got back in the rhythm of the book it, it was just something that like you know you you come to accept and it's like it you get it right yeah yeah did any yeah. of you guys like have that like did that did you clock that or was that just something that
3: tripped me up um, i mean i clocked it but i i didn't um i actually enjoyed that yeah cool. I,
0: I enjoyed that piece it it, it 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 never gave me more than a second's pause transitioning between him getting yeah. like a overall narrator's voice and then going to like ben Yurick or something mm-hmm. um yurik it what, was especially uh, easy because he d- he changed the text yeah, the yeah had he it. had a typewriter text
1: yeah and I, I think that is something that like that would have made all the difference for where it did trip me up because when it was like that didn't even give it a second thought
4: well I think typically it would change between pages which made it a little bit easier um, versus like over panels um, I think I think that that definitely helped because you could sort of like
3: start fresh on the page
0: yeah yeah Cal, I, did you I like think- it Go ahead. Okay, oh, Sean, finish your thought.
3: I was gonna say I think that uh, nowadays, this if if a, if a modern comic were to do something like this, and obviously I'm not reading every comic on Earth, maybe there are books that are doing this to effect. I think people would be uh, frustrated with the amount of dialogue because, um, like, I, I'm on a random page right now, and there's like a lot of words here. Put it up, um, and it's all narration. Yeah. Which so uh, I'm on page 73, the one with the car where he's in the taxi cab and he's like supposed to be dying. Um, well, it's a
2: oh, it, yeah. it's a similar problem with uh, Claremont at the time. I have yeah. the the most trouble reading Claremont because
3: it's so wordy. Well, I agree with you there on Claremont. Claremont's narration was never as uh, action-focused and driven as this. I feel like Mm -hmm. there's an intensity and a forward motion in the narration that makes this so much better. But I don't think we'd be able to accept this now. I love this book because of that anachronism. Hmm. We can't get that anymore. And I've been on book clubs. We've done about older books and said the exact opposite. But this is an example of the narration box working to enhance the story, not detract from it. I yeah. really
1: love the way that it was used on <clears throat> pages where there was action, because like you, or not necessarily just action, but Sean, like you said, there's a lot of movement in it. Like I'm looking at a pa- a page near the end of the book. Uh, it's where he runs, it's after he goes and like checks on everybody at the church and he runs out the door and he goes to like leap up the fire escape. And there's like a dialogue box that move or boxes that move through the panels and then through this other way. And they kind of move in the same way that Matt is moving and it like guides your eye across the page, you know? And, um, I think it, like it greatly enhances not just the story, but also like the art and the visual presentation, the way that like the text and you know some of the like um, onomatopoeia and art all like play together. You know,
4: I think one of the things that I liked was the, um, and it reminded me of Killer Be Killed. But like when they had like a single image, and then you had uh, or images, and then you had like the text running down the side of a page. Yeah. just like like all the way down. That mm-hmm. that that I love that kind of stuff because that I think very much fits the style yeah. of of uh noir where it's just like you know we're running down a list this is sort of like a montage alongside it um that was very cool
3: i'm so glad you brought that up marco uh i can't believe i forgot but brubaker does this stuff all the time Yes, yeah, yep yep and it's he's very, good for that well
0: that, that makes yeah. a lot of sense that you, you would think he was inspired by miller yeah um Miller also has this thing he does where he is very verbose in his descriptions. And normally, uh, like you, I'm I, I not typically crazy about that. There will be plenty of times on the proper show or if we read a book during the week and an author uses a lot of text, it irritates the shit out of me. But when you have something like this where it's just so eloquent, uh, he has this way of, of being verbose, but then he'll take key words or sentences and... And focus on them, and and, and and key in on them. So, like when when Kingpin doing all of the things that he's doing, he's told there's no corpse, there's no body. Yes, those two words fixate over the next like two pages, because mm-hmm. it's it's in his head, and it, it's so it's such a excellent narrative tool. Um, but yeah, I I, I digress. Um,
3: Let's talk about the art I just I'm sorry I just really I I love that you (laughs) brought that up How else Would you show that Without those words there You know like Yeah That was That was so perfect Because it gets that across I mean maybe an artist could do it I'm not saying it's impossible But I love that That sticks the thought That Kingpin is having In your mind Yes And now you understand what kingpin is going through it brings you into his paranoia i love that he's he's got these like you know
0: record-setting profits on his drug on his drug ring you know x y or z he's 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 doing great but this one thing this one relatively insignificant thing is the thing that's eating him alive Mm -hmm. um let's talk about the art um I, I I can't stress how spectacular it is. You follow every every beat of Matt and Karen's feelings what they're going through um, they and, and the coloring and, and, and the way it would focus in on people's faces like I think of this one page of, of, of Kingpin's face. Oh yeah it's just it's just attention to detail uh what do you guys think
4: yeah i think the coloring definitely especially for the style is very 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 much noir it's high contrast purples reds yellows like um oranges it's that's really good stuff and uh, it gets played to really really great effect uh i think on, on my book it's page 75 but where it's the uh the maggie like, is like leaning over him and like the colors are yes they're, yeah. they're off they're not like yellows they're not Necessarily uh, pure blues or like these like neon highlighted colors, and it really just accentuates moments, um, and yeah, and he's just a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal artist in the way that he can like capture beats and moments. My favorite page uh, I saved this is on forty nine where like they have the fight, um, and you just get for example like uh, my favorite is where Kingpin just smiles and there's blood on his nose and you're just like yeah, oh,
3: fucking badass. He's busted. It's just good. So we we, we, we should definitely mention uh, Chris, Christy Scheel, who did the colors in yes. this book. Yeah. Yes. Uh, she is, for whatever reason, an artist um, that I've never heard of before, a colorist I've never heard of before. And she annihilated it here. Like She did such a fantastic job. This is... This is truly an example of a book where all the people who worked on it made it better. It looks like and it looks like a Max Shield also me, worked me, on me, the later issues. Th- that's that's her that's her uh, that's her uh, Alien Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because she's Christie Shield. Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Uh, so a lot of modern comics, I feel like, are driven heavily by the written words by the script and the art takes a backseat and that's something that we've talked about on the a lot of the x-men reviews that we've done where sometimes the book just doesn't feel like it's art focused and then you get the giant sized x-men books where it's literally tailored to the artist and you can tell because they feel so much more art driven this is a book. And it's not a surprise that the writer is also an artist and it, and it comes across because every single element of the art works in tandem with the story. And it's so much better because of it. And it's simple stuff on, on the page uh, where Karen, I think um, it's Karen and I'm not sure exactly who this guy, I think he's just a goon, Um, but he's got a gun and, uh, Karen is, like, blue, right? And she's, like, frozen. That's what you're supposed to get out of that. Yeah. She's frozen in fear. And she's blue. And then her words, her word boxes are blue. Like, I, I, that is that is fantastic.
0: Yeah. There's so much attention to detail to these things. Um, I, I was holding it up earlier, but there's a scene where, where Ben is in J. Jonah Jameson's office. And at oh, this point, yeah. he's frozen with fear. And and wants to be taken off the story. And Jay Jonah, to his credit, is trying to push him into it. And the the, the coloring and and, and, and is all red and and with black. And his face is cast in shadow. And it's it's just so effective.
1: I think that's like the most noir like moment in the book. You know, where it's like there's like the the blinds are casting the black lines across them and everything. Like it's so
3: classic,
1: yeah. so classic. Yeah, I, I um I think to to build on the on the point that Sean just made, I, I think this is like one of those books I think of as like a peak comics comic because it is firing on all cylinders. You know, like there are so many all time great stories where you hone in on, you know, a few elements. Like, you know, maybe it's the themes of the story and like, you know, to Sean's point, there are lots of great books that aren't art focused, right? Or that are you know, only art focus. And I think this book is like a team of creators who are really firing on all cylinders. And each of them is doing, you know, a pretty equal amount of heavy lifting in terms of like conveying, you know, the story, the themes, but I think also just moment to moment, what the characters are thinking and feeling in ways that don't have to come from exposition, even though there's a ton of really good exposition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They work in tandem together. And i i brought it up earlier but obviously a big theme in the story is is matt's resurrection paralleling you know christ in the bible and that is very apparent in david's art uh throughout you know matt's fall it it parallels the signs of the cross um which is in like every catholic church uh all the way to the point where he's crucified in in the scene where he's saved by maggie um in fact points after that where matt's face is cast in shadow and he would like you know follow ben and and save him and his wife from the nurse like this is like all stuff that has to do with um you know the the resurrection where three days later like this is all portrayed in, in 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 the art and it's and it's excellent like thematically like it both narratively and visually like it comes together perfectly yeah uh any other thoughts on the art guys
1: i i um i I think one of the words i would like to use to describe it is is visceral you know like we've decided we've uh described a number of moments that stuck out to each of us that like genuinely makes you feel something from just looking at the imagery and like that that's a huge achievement you know being able to convey like something as as complex as like the feelings that Ben is going through while he's on the phone listening to, you know, a man's death. um, That that is a that's a moment that sticks with you, you know, and that's a moment that says something without saying anything. And yeah, I mean, uh, there's a reason that you look back on this book and, and remember it.
0: Dude, Ben's wife was almost hung in front of him. That was, I mean, she, was. Wild. she almost died. That yeah, like Jesus. that moment
1: has so much tension in it too. You yeah. know, like yeah, it's, it's the, just,
4: uh when when they're in the prison and they're trying to interview the uh the nurse too, it's like, oh. like back yeah. to back, like movement panel to panel. It's just uh it's just super fluid movement.
3: Yeah. It's very cinematic. Yes. And and
1: like you can I can see think it yeah right and and i think the fact that like there are so many moments like that and there aren't any of those moments um that we critique in in books all too often where like you can't really follow what's happening the fact that there is like a moment like that where they're in the the prison and shit pops off in a second and it's like panel 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 and like in each one there's a major beat happening in terms of where the action is and what you're supposed to be getting from it. And there, I, I don't know about you guys. I do not have one moment through this entire book where I ever had to relook at the art and be like, what is the sequence of events right now? Because it's communicated super clearly. Hmm.
3: I, I only ever went back to admire. Yeah.
1: Yeah. To just be like, Wow. You know, and I think that speaks to, like, all the elements that we've talked about. Like, it, it is the paneling, it is the art, it is the color, but it's it's also where text boxes are placed, where, where narration is placed, and, like, it's, it's one of those books that's just a joy to read because it's so, it's communicating its ideas so simply, and, like, effortlessly because the people that are doing it are, like, you know, masters of their craft.
4: Yep, the art's good shit, and if we know Phil... He likes good shit. That's why he picked this Damn book.
0: Straight. Damn straight. It's good and shit. That's a good. That's a good segue into me asking you all, what were your final thoughts, and would you recommend this book? So let's start with Sean.
3: This is masterful work by everybody involved, and it's so, it's such a joy to be able to read comics that are this good, and still be able to be surprised and full of wonder at what can be accomplished in this medium because there are so many great comics that i still haven't read after almost 20 years of being a fan and it's very encouraging to continue to be able to go back and see things like this this is why daredevil is such a celebrated character a lot of times people will say like daredevil is a comic book a a, a comic book writer's character or a comic book creator's character in the sense that he's a character who comic book creators tend to have a story that they really want to tell and so many of this character's runs are really good there's like a lot of great daredevil content out there if you're a fan of this character and i think that you can probably trace all of that back to this frank miller David Mazzuccelli and the whole team set the standard for what a great Daredevil story looks like. And when you set the bar that high, it's only going to encourage creators to try to step up to the plate and match or exceed that. And whether or not you agree that creators have exceeded it, whether or not you agree that this is the best Daredevil story ever told, you can't argue with the fact that this is, this is where it all started. And I'm really grateful to have been able to come back to this book, read it, and see why Daredevil is so beloved. I'm really happy with this. This was awesome.
0: Uh, Yeah, would you
3: recommend it? I would absolutely recommend it. I would recommend it to anyone who wants more Daredevil now that the show's over. I know a lot of people are thirsty for more Daredevil. And, you know, a lot of us know people who may have watched the show but don't pick up comics. So if you have a friend like that, this is the perfect book to get. It's very short, it's condensed. You can probably get this for twenty or less dollars if you want to give a gift through comixology or whatever. Hey. Um, this is an an awesome gift to give to someone who wants more Daredevil or just someone who wants more classic stories within the medium that we love. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, one hundred percent and I give it the maximum possible score. I never like to do ratings but whatever the maximum is, this gets that nice. Uh,
0: yeah, uh,
4: I would definitely recommend this. Uh, that's actually a good call out for anybody who's looking for a daredevil book and you need that fix. This is definitely that it obviously is the inspiration for season three. There's elements taken from it, just like an aesthetic perspective, uh, that you can probably see, like new, you can even say was, uh, some of the stuff that they had done with, uh, Frank castle at some point, like, there's just there's just a lot here that um is really good i think outside of the the ending which is pretty much my only criticism of it um mm. this is excellent work on on oh, all all ends
0: i'm so happy to hear that because you had such a hard time even starting this in the last couple of years yeah yeah
4: yeah yeah. so uh, I'm, I'm glad i read it this was this was cool it's another thing in my miller sort of catalog and yeah uh, I think nice. for a rating, uh, probably mm-hmm. like eight, five, and nine.
0: Mm. Okay, nice, solid. Uh,
4: Pete.
1: Yeah, I, um, I, I would say I echo a lot of Sean's points. So I'll try to keep it brief. Where I really think this is like this is one of the great works of the medium for sure. You know, um, and I think. If you're a person who is interested in Daredevil or has like any relationship to Daredevil, whether it's from the show or, or what have you, um, and you haven't read this book, it's like foundational. You know, like it's a book you like must read. I think, um, and I I think it's it's one of the best examples of this era of comics and mm-hmm. and them and what was special about that period. You know, um, because every. You know, age has its has its great works and its influential works, and I, I definitely think this stands, um, you know, among the the best stuff from that time period. Um, and it might not, it might not, maybe get celebrated as much as like a Watchman or a Dark Knight. But I, I think, um, I, I really do love this book, and I, I think it's, uh, I think it's really easy to jump into, too you know, which is one of the things I try to consider in terms of if I'd recommend it. I think you can get into it with, like, very little knowledge or just cursory knowledge of of Matt and Daredevil as as a concept and and we'll be able to get something out of it Um, because it is just good, just a good comic. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, nothing's perfect, but I'd say, like, when it comes to, on my scale, a 10 out of 10 means, like, you must try it. You must see what, what you think of it because it's significant. So I would give it a ten.
0: Nice, yeah, fair enough, Kale. Yeah, I like it.
2: Uh, <laughs> nine out of ten. Would absolutely <laughs> recommend it.
0: Hot, <laughs> hot, hot takes from Kale. Very eloquent. What about you, Phil? Um, this is one of my favorite books. I uh, I first read this at a very low point. In my life and so it really resonated with me in a lot of ways and it was really inspiring too so this this book is a personal favorite of mine um I you think your rebirth. It helped me through my own rebirth um i also think this book is accessible enough for just about anyone to read hmm. um i don't think this is too much insider baseball really uh so honestly and i have recommended this book to a lot of people who aren't just regular comic book readers um because it's it's just that good uh so i'm really really happy to hear that uh everyone enjoyed the book as much as i uh, i do can i call out one more thing phil yeah of course uh almost the entirety of this run
1: is available on comixology unlimited for free um, that's why it's I read not. it. Go.
2: it's not. Almost all, almost all of it is the pivotal issue uh, that actually starts the Miller Mazzucchelli run. Is not
1: right. Well, that's why I said it's almost all on there. That one you can get for a buck right now. Um, I I got the. I was able to read the entire thing there. They're doing a, a two month free trial right now while everyone's in quarantine. So by the time you're listening to this, if that offer is still available, very easy to jump in and read it uh, for free.
0: I would also recommend everyone to go back and read Frank Miller's core Daredevil run from the seventies. That's uh, excellent and introduced Elektra. He also did a a five issue mini with uh, John Romita uh, Jr. Yeah, Jr. uh, called the Man Without Fear, which was a major touchstone uh, basis for the first season of Daredevil. That's really good. Oh. And if I could recommend a single issue, it's, uh, Daredevil 219, it's a standalone issue by Frank Miller, is one of my all-time favorite standalone issues. So, those are all just other cursory references, uh, references and recommendations. So, that's it for this month's installment of our book club. Uh, this has been Daredevil Born Again, uh, one of the all-time classics, joining uh, other book clubs we've done, such as Mouse, uh, Watchmen, All-Star Superman, last month's uh, book club Uncanny uh, X-Force. Uh, what do we have next month, Marco? Next month is going to be a, uh, our second listener request,
4: <laughs> Kill or Be Kale, which actually referenced earlier in this episode. So there you go. Yeah.
0: That's right. So make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and ring that bell where you can catch all of our excellent book clubs and our weekly show that drops every Monday. Check us out wherever your podcasts are sold and make sure you check us out on all the social media platforms. But otherwise, make sure to tune in.
3: Take care, guys. See you next month.
2: Quick note, Speedy gets high in the issue of Snowbirds Don't Fly in 1971.